know, this is a time of year when we lose a lot of people, and praise God, new folks are starting to come as well. Even though it's a little bit early, usually they start to come in September. But uh, yeah, it's good to have you guys visiting with us tonight. You new guys. As you guys know, Karen and I went to uh, a conference a week or so ago, and one of the breakout sessions was led by um, a teacher from the U.S. He's an apologist. He's a Christian apologist. Now, you know what a Christian apologist is, right? You know what this means? In essence, a Christian apologist seeks to make a defense of the faith to the skeptic. I'll give you the proper definition. Someone who presents a systematic discourse in defense of the divine origin and authority of the Christian faith. I've always loved Christian apologetics. I've been in lay and vocational ministry for 30 years and and I've learned something. They, they They are severely limited as far as what they can accomplish. It's important, I think, that your average Christian can speak at, at some ease with the arguments of apologetic, and it's they the arguments are interesting, but ultimately they are not compelling. Uh, frequently, Christian apologetics tends to degenerate into merely uh, a man-centric, uh, philosophical kind of debate or argument. You listen to many well-intentioned Christian apologists today, and a lot of times what you hear is you hear a man quoting men. That can be good. Men can say good things. But ultimately, the words of men don't convert anyone. Amen? It's important, I think, that we can be conversant in these things, but apologetics are very limited in what they can accomplish. The Christian worldview does not emanate from the mind of man. Amen? This is why it makes no sense to most of the world. The unregenerate man simply does not see it. He does not hear it. He does not understand it. And by and large, he rejects it. It's good to be able to make philosophical arguments. It's good. But if you're counting on a philosophical argument to convert your husband or your wife or your child or your friend or your co-worker or your neighbor... Listen, I've learned this lesson the hard way. <laughs> Just show them God. God has become my apologetic. Yes, I dabble in it sometimes when it seems reasonable and it seems profitable with someone who is hostile to the Christian worldview, but I don't stay with apologetics very long. That being philosophical arguments from a Christian perspective, I just take them to God. I try to put them in front of God. Why should we, the sons and daughters of the Creator-Redeemer God, descend into the sinkhole of human, human reasoning? I know that's all the world has, but we have infinitely more. What do we have? Someone tell me. What do we have? We have God's Word. We have the Word of God. I know the world hates it when we talk like that. I know the world hates it when we say we have the exclusive revelation of God. I know the world hates it. But listen, if you're a Christian, you're out in the world and you're doing your job, 
you know, there's just going to be a lot of times the world's not going to like what you say. You're supposed to know they're not going to like it. You're supposed to know that most likely they're going to reject it. You're supposed to know it. You're supposed to stand there and smile and you're supposed to love them and you're supposed to give them a blessing. I know it's hard. This is what God calls us to do. This is our evangelism. This is our evangelism, brother, brothers and sisters. The PC crowd hates it when we talk about having exclusive revelation and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the salvation of mankind. But we don't need to be worried about the politically correct crowd. We just need to share the truth with them. We don't need to, we don't need to worry about how they will rebut us we just need to share truth and love them. That's what real Christians do in the world. You know, I mean, think about it. Everybody's got an opinion, right? Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody. The skeptic believes in his skepticism. The atheist believes in his atheism. And everybody's got a quote, right? Everybody's got a quote. The Buddhist has a quote from the Buddha. The Muslim has a quote from Muhammad. The Hindu has a quote from the Bhagavad Gita. That's hard for me to say. The atheist has a quote from Richard Dawkins and Tom Cruise has a quote from a Thetan. Right? <laughs> Everybody's got a quote. Everybody's got an opinion. But listen, I don't, I'm not really interested in anyone's opinion. I'm really not. And I hope you're not either. And Maybe that's the reason you're in this church. We're not really interested in any man's opinion. Men may say good things again, but really what we want to know, what does God say? That's really what we want to know. We are God's people and we want to know what He has to say to us. Beloved, a shaman, a monk, a rabbi, an imam, a pope, a patriarch, a Protestant preacher, anything they say that does not line up with this, it's pure speculation. It's pure speculation. But if it's in here, you can build your life and you can build an eternity on it. Because this, these 66 books, these 66 books are the Word of God. Why speculate when you have the Logos? Why speculate when you have the Word. I think you probably know this over 4,000 times. God says, this is in here, He says. 4,000 times, this is My Word. 4,000 times. And I want you to know this. I know you know it if you've been around very long. You know, the, the skeptic always wants me to explain God. Well, someone tell me what I say to the skeptic when they ask me to explain God. Some of you that have been around for a while, do you know? I can't. I can't explain God. I don't presume to be able to explain God. He is unfathomable. The comprehended God is no God, as the Puritan used to say. Beloved, our God is infinitely above us. We don't try to explain Him. The Bible is not His explanation. He's not trying to explain anything to you or to me or to anyone. It's not His explanation. Someone tell me what it is. It's His revelation. 
He's not trying to answer the 10,000 questions you have. He's trying to give you the answer to the big one. The big question. How must I be saved? What must I do to be reconciled to my God from whom I have been estranged through my own sin? So, when I'm in these debates, I, you know, I don't descend into the abyss of endless philosophical argumentation I'll, at some point, I stop and I say, listen. Listen to Psalm 99.1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. That's my apologetic. And of course, the worldling, as Spurgeon calls the unbeliever, they hate it. They don't like it. But listen, beloved, I think the best thing we can do many times, and you have to use your discernment, obviously, in each situation, but many times... You know, I had a, a long, very long exchange with, uh, with an atheist uh, on email. And you know, I just started slapping him upside the head with Scripture, right? I, I left off the philosophical debate and I said, here's what God says. Bam. Deal with it. Here's what God says. Bam. Deal with it. I know, you, again, we have to use our discernment, but in that case, that was the right way to go, you know, John Piper, great preacher in the States. Oops. Yeah, okay. Quote him too much, Karen says. Um, but let me just slip one in, Karen. Um, John Piper says, God is not mainly to be understood. The God of the Bible is mainly to be worshipped. Amen? At, listen, beloved, after a billion eternities, you still won't understand very much about I Am. He still will be an infinite mystery to you. And you'll spend a billion eternities discovering His godness and His greatness and His beauty and His genius. It, makes, it gives me goosebumps. We won't ever get to the end of God. So God has become my apologetic. And His revelation which is the Bible. How many of you guys are familiar with the name Bert, Bertrand Russell? Anybody familiar with that name? He was, he's a famous 20th century English philosopher and atheist. He was once asked, what will you say to God if you meet Him at, upon your death? What will you say to God about your atheism? Anybody know what he says? He says, I will say to God, why didn't you give me enough evidence to believe? The evidence you gave me was insufficient to believe. Well, first we know one thing is true. No man's going to stand in front of God and ever say anything like that. You know, when we look into the Scripture, every man that caught a glimpse of the glorified God, bam, they couldn't hit their face fast enough. Of course, this is the, the I guess, the, the arrogance that permeates most atheism. So what do you think? Does... His argument hold water? Has God not given man sufficient evidence to believe? Psalm 19 says, You're wrong, Mr. Russell. God has given convincing evidence of His existence. You heard it read in the text. First, first evidence. It's what is called the general or natural revelation of God, meaning the created order itself. Psalm 19, 1-6. Secondly, it's what's called the specific or supernatural revelation of God, meaning the Word of God incarnate and written. 
Psalm 19, 7 through 11. There's also a third kind of revelation you, you, some of you may be thinking of um, that God has made to man. Anybody want to guess? It's inside us. You know what Romans says? God has written His very existence on our hearts and on our minds. It's why I tell an atheist, in, you know, I say it, I say it in the proper spirit, but I try to challenge him. I say, you may be a liar, but you're not an atheist. God's never made one. God's never made an atheist. If we go to Romans chapter 1, verse 19, God says, that which is known about me, someone tell me, is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Every man knows that Jesus Christ is His Creator. Every man knows it. Intuitively, he knows it. It's not that men don't know. It's that men don't like it. It's that men will not have it. It's not that men don't understand. It's that they do understand. And as the psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, I'll have no God over me. That's what rebellious men say. You guys know what Romans 1.18 says. It says, man knows the truth, but what does he do? He pushes it down, right? He pushes it down. He pushes the truth down. So Bertrand Russell and millions like him have no plea before God. Their unbelief, their unbelief has no excuse. It has no excuse. God has made Himself evident in the world, in the Word, and inescapably in your heart, beloved. In your heart. Let's pick up here, Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. So, what does the text say? What does the text say to Bertrand Russell and his cohorts? Every day, every night, in every part of the world, God is shouting at His creation, I am here! And I am awesome! Bertrand Russell, you have no excuse. It's what the text is saying, beloved. Of course, David is not implying that God does not speak through all of His creation, but in this context, David is talking about God's unmistakable messages from the heavens. I love Charles Spurgeon. I love what he says here, 19th century preacher in England. He says, he says really, when you look into the heavens, it's a lesson in the attributes of God. Listen to what he says. God's existence, His power, His wisdom, His goodness, His beauty, His infinity, His faithfulness, His greatness, His majesty are all on display. He says the heavens are making an unmistakable declaration. Amen. Have you ever been outside the city when there are no city lights and looked at the glory of the heavens? Beloved, it's a lesson on God it's a God sermon. You know that, don't you? The heavens. This is what the psalmist is saying to us. It is David. 
it's, it's, a, it's a God sermon. The heavens are a God sermon. He's declaring His greatness. Not only His existence, but His, his greatness. Spurgeon goes on. I, I, I wouldn't say this personally. I'm going to quote Spurgeon, who's one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church. But he says this, He who looks up into the heavens and declares himself an atheist brands himself at the same moment an idiot. I know that's inelegant. I wouldn't say that myself, but I feel okay because I'm quoting a giant of the faith. Right? Uh, I'll leave that with Spurgeon. But I couldn't resist. Beloved, true Christianity is never at odds with true science. True Christianity is only at odds with pseudoscience. One of my favorite science and philosopher PhD guys, Stephen J. Meyer, said it perfectly for me. He said, science does not... He says, science done right points to God. Why is that true? Why is science done right? Why does it always point to God? Because God is the God of all truth and all truth glorifies God. It's all going to point back to God. True science points back to God. I know men like to speculate. They have a lot of speculation. Tons of speculation. And they can spin the biggest yarns in fairy tales. But we believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know there are only three explanations for the universe. One, some say it's eternal. Well, modern cosmology or modern science has dismissed that view. It uh, has been dismissed by Einstein's theory of relativity and the Big Bang hypothesis. You know, I hear Christians are, are tense, tense because the world talks about the Big Bang. Listen, the Big Bang, it, it's just how the world talks about it. They don't know how to talk about it. The Big Bang is just God saying, let there be. I, you know, when science begins to prove that, that the universe is not eternal and it is not static, it was a trauma for most scientists. Because that means there was a beginning. Oh, if there was a beginning, how did it begin? They don't know. Of course, they're not qualified to comment on it, a true scientist, because all true scientists can do is observe and record. You can't, this is a non-repeatable, unobservable event. When God speaks a cosmos into existence. So, the atheistic scientist postulates that the universe, it just... It happened. Now, if anybody can swallow that, I've got some stocks and bonds I'd like to talk to you about. <laughs> Worthless. Beloved, it's, it's illogical, it's irrational, it's impossible. I always love what R.C. Sproul says about this. He says, it's a rabbit out of a hat, without a rabbit, without a hat, and without a magician. Let me give you one quick quote from an anthropologist, Sir Arthur Keith. He said it this way, Naturalistic evolution is unproved and unprovable. Now, he's a Darwinist. He's a macro-Darwinist. But he says it's unproved and unprovable. He says we believe it only because the alternative is special creation and it's unthinkable. Beloved, there's a real bias here, right? There's a real bias here. I saw some other scientists say it's repugnant. It's distasteful. It's traumatizing to their worldview. 
That there's a beginning and they don't know how it began. So they come up with all kinds of fairy tales. Of course, the third possible explanation for the cosmos is Genesis 1.1. There are no other possible explanations. And so David is saying to us that not only did God create the cosmos, David is saying to us that God is speaking to us through the cosmos. And you're supposed to be hearing God through the created order. I love how um, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this, this verse here. Uh, Psalm 19, 1 and 2. Listen to this. It's, I think it's Eugene Peterson's best paraphrase. He said, God's glory is on tour in the skies. Godcraft is on exhibit across the horizon. Madame Day holds classes every morning. And Professor Knight lectures every evening. Let me ask you, are you hearing God's sermon? Are you hearing His sky sermon? Are you hearing God's sky sermon? We were eating. We're not supposed to be eating ice cream right now. But Karen and I, she, it was her idea. So she wanted to eat some ice cream last night. I said, Karen, I'm trying to be disciplined. I'm trying not to eat any ice cream right now. Because when we go home to the States, I'm going to eat like, you know, way too much stuff. But she said, no, let's have some ice cream. So anyway, but we, she, put, she got out these raspberries and she put raspberries on the ice cream. And it was a theological event for me. A raspberry. Of course there's a God. Right? It's beautiful. It's, you know, it tastes so good. It just... It goes so good with the vanilla ice cream. <laughs> of course there's a God. Come on. Are you kidding me? This happened, uh, this happened by accident? A raspberry? Are you hearing God's raspberry sermons, beloved? Are you? There, God is speaking. God is speaking. You're supposed to be hearing. And you're supposed to be pointing those you know to him. Did you notice here in verse 2? It says that, 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 that God is pouring forth. It, it, this, this, this knowledge is pouring forth. It's flowing. It's gushing. It's, yeah. Are you hearing the sermons? You know, the DNA sermon, the human consciousness sermon. When I go to the produce section at the, at the grocery store and I look at all the varieties and colors and tastes and flavors and I just go, yes, there's a God. When we go to Carrefour, I just worship. It's a theological event for me. Beloved, the created order should affect you this way. <laughs> In my view, I'm not sure how it couldn't affect you this way. God's sky sermon is not spoken in words, as the text says. John Piper says, the sky sermon, it's, it's uh, communicated in light, in color, in contrast, in shape, in proportion, in design, in motion, and in magnitude. The sky sermon transcends words, reasoning, and argumentation. And it's non-stop. And it's available to all who will stop, look, and listen with an unbiased heart and see that there is a great Creator God in the world. God has not left Himself without a witness, beloved. He is shouting to us every day. He is shouting at the world I am here and I am a great God. It's just that men suppress it. Men want to do their own agenda. They're not interested in God's agenda. So they do their own agenda and they concoct pseudoscientific theories that gives them license to do their own agendas. It's how men think and 
work. Verse 4b through 6, In them He has placed the tent for the Son, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run His course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hiding Pardon, there's nothing hidden hidden from its heat. Now, can you envision David at dawn on Mount Zion looking over the Jordan Valley east and watching the sun come up? Can you see it? I think this is what is happening as David pins these words. The glory of the sunrise. Amen? And it's a beautiful scene but it's a small picture of the glory and the joy and the happiness and the exuberance and the power and the faithfulness and the light of God to watch a sun come up. Why do I mention joy in this text? Because David does. He's talking about a bridegroom coming out of his chamber to receive his lover. It's the happiest day of the bridegroom's life. And David is saying that the testimony of God in that sunrise, it's pure joy. It's pure joy. He, God is there. And God is awesome. And God is faithful. And He's a God of great exuberance. Just look at the sunrise. You know He's a God of exuberance. Look at Him. Look at His handiwork. And David is carried away as he contemplates just the sheer joy of who God is. And God's glory is not merely happy glory. It's invincible and unassailable glory. This is the metaphor here. It's like the strong man who runs its course. You can't stop the champion from running his course. He runs with power. But what else does he run with? He runs with joy. The champion runs with joy! Made me think of Eric Little. You guys know the name? Famous Olympian uh, from England. Great runner, right? You remember what he said? He said, when I run, what? I feel the pleasure of God. <laughs> and that's what the psalmist is saying, man. When I watch the sun come up, I feel the pleasure and exuberance of God. I just think this is, this is just a beautiful text. It gets me pretty fired up as you can tell. When I think or read about the vast universe that God has spoken into existence. I always think of the words of Jesus, Luke 12.32. Remember what He said? He said, Your Father has chosen gladly to give you just a little bitty part of the created order. Is that what He says? Your Father has chosen gladly to give you every good thing. The kingdom of God is actually what the wording is there. And brother, when you look at the, you know, when you look at the Hubble telescope uh, pictures of the cosmos, the 11 billion times six trillion, 11 billion light years, which is six trillion miles. So the 11 billion, six trillion deep space field, when you look at that, that's some small microscopic view of what your inheritance is. Of how big your inheritance is. There's a reason. Obviously, the, the cosmos, the seemingly infinite cosmos, it's a, it's a commentary on God. But it's a commentary to God's people. This is how big my joy is. And this is what awaits you. I, yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> I love Psalm. I love Psalm 19. 
And David moves from the general and natural revelation of God to his specific and supernatural revelation, which is again his word, both written and incarnate. And I want you to notice that we have six characteristics of God's word and six effects of God's word upon the humble, contrite, and repentant heart. So I'm going to spend just a few minutes unpacking these, these verses. Verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word perfect here connotes that it is whole, it is complete, it is full, it is sound. Everything you need to make a sound profession of faith in Jesus Christ. God has given you everything you need. Well, Jim, there are about 10,000 questions I have for God and I can't get them out of the Word. You know, I don't understand them. Listen, I, 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 I love to say it this way. I, you know, I don't need an explanation. I would rather have the revelation of God than 10,000 explanations of God. I want the revelation of God. And God has given us His revelation. We have the revelation of the Son. We have a revelation about how to be reconciled to our great God. Look here in this, right here in this verse, verse 7. God, uh, God's Word recovers and it returns the soul. It turns the soul back to its original purpose and function, which is to know and love and worship and obey and adore God. It's the power of His Word, both incarnate and written. It restores the soul. And it makes the wise simple. It makes the foolish and the naive and the open-minded. It makes them wise. God's Word is an antidote for naivete and foolishness. And again, for an open mind. And I know the world applauds those who are open-minded, but I, I was reading uh, John MacArthur this week and he made a comment. He said open-minded means that simply you let everything in and you, you'll let anything in and you'll let anything come out. But Christians aren't like this. Christians have a disciplined mind. Our, our mind is disciplined by the Word of God. Right? We prefer the narrow way, not the broad way. Amen? I think this is what part of what David is saying here. The Word of God makes the wise simple. Verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The, commandments, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The word here, right, just simply connotes righteousness and uh, that which is proper, that which is upright. And of course, it rejoices the heart. I can't remember what Sean's translation said. It said something pretty cool there like about being radiant or something. I don't remember now. But happy, Jesus says it this way, happy is the man who hears and thinks about My Word. Right? Wait a minute. There was a different verb there. Jesus says, happy is the man who hears My Word and does it. Happy is that man. Not merely the man who muses on it or thinks about it or meditates on it. These are good things. But Jesus says, happy is the man who does My Word. Jesus called it freedom in John 8.32. This rejoicing of the heart. We are free to be who we've been created to be. Did you notice these are commandments? What does that tell you about God's Word? Oh, they're not suggestions. <laughs> they're not suggestions. They're the commandments of a gracious and good God. The Word enlightens. 
The Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. It's how Paul talks about true conversion over in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He compares regeneration of a, uh, of a man's soul to, to God speaking light into the darkness in Genesis chapter 1. Let there be light. The supernatural work of God in the heart of fallen man. Verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. We talked a little bit about this last week, so I won't say much about it. But the fear of the Lord, someone tell me, is what? The beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. His Word, through His Word, we learn how to live this life and prepare for the next life. That's what the text says. It endures forever. As Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Beloved, the Word of God is relevant in every circumstance you're in. (laughs) The Word of God is always relevant. You say, well, Jim, you don't know how tough my workplace is. I don't really care how tough your workplace is. Because your God is infinitely bigger than any problem you have at work. I'm not trying to be unsympathetic. I'm trying to say... You're a son or a daughter of the, of the King. Have no fear. Isn't that what we sang earlier? At the sound of His name, what? The enemy must flee. Beloved, you have license. I, it's not in my notes. This is free. You have license to be a, a huge Christian in the world. A huge disciple in the world. You just have to decide, I really believe this and I give myself away to it. You just have to decide that. I really believe this and I give myself away to Jesus Christ. Holy, completely, totally, utterly. And I'll let Him use me up until I stand before Him. And I look into His eyes. I love what... uh, You know, let me say this first. You know, okay, I've been beating this drum lately, so I'm not going to say it, but once. This is what we do at ICM. So you visitors, if I want you to come back. I really do. But if you don't like God's Word, there's no point in you coming back. Because this is what we do. <laughs> we, we do the Word of God. Um, you know, if I could do spiritual miracles, if I, or pardon me, physical miracles, if I could do physical miracles, we would have a bigger crowd. Do you agree? we would have a bigger crowd. But as a preacher of the Word of God, I far prefer to do spiritual miracles. Because as I preach the Word, guess what God does? He changes eternities through His Word. I far prefer spiritual miracles over the physical ones. I know we'd have a bigger crowd. But God hasn't gifted me in that way but I love the spiritual miracles. <laughs> I, love when, I love it when a believer comes out of the darkness and into the light, right? I prefer those. I, I love what MacArthur says here about... It's okay if I do MacArthur, right, Karen? It's okay. I love what MacArthur says about the power of God's Word. He says, you don't have to defend it. If you're a preacher, you don't have to defend it. You just unleash it, right? <laughs> it's like a lion, that's why we do this. We, 
we do this because it's the power of God. We don't care what popes and, and patriarchs and other preachers say. They may say some good things again. We don't care. We want to know what God says. We want to know what God says. Verses 10 and 11. These judgments are words. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them they Thy servant, excuse me, is warned in keeping them. There is great reward. Let me ask you, do you believe it? Do you believe? So? Okay, I won't, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm, but I'm just going to ask you to do a mental inventory. Do you believe God's Word is worth more than much fine gold? Do you really believe it? Let me ask you this. Do you live like you believe it? What if I was giving much fine gold out here, literally, Literally giving away much fine gold every Sunday. Would we have a bigger crowd? Man, we'd have to have, we'd have, to have the military out there, you know, in crowd control. But beloved, I'm handing out something that's infinitely more valuable than much fine physical gold. What does your life say about your view of God's Word? Are you in it every day? Are you meditating on it? Are you studying it? Are you memorizing it? Are you sitting under the preached Word of God on a regular basis? What does your life testify about your view of Scripture? Do you really believe it's better than much fine gold? Do you really believe it? Do you, do you believe it's sweeter than a honeycomb? Do you really believe it? Beloved, these are important questions for us to ask ourselves. Or am I just playing church with God? Is it just religion with God? Or do I really believe these things? Did you notice in verse 11, God's Word is a great protector for, the, for God's servant is warned. God's Word is a great provider for in keeping it we will find great reward. Verses 12-13, through 13, Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. This is the plea and prayer of every biblically literate person. We understand our hearts before God. Before a holy God. And we need to be cleansed. We know that, we know that the sin we're aware of in our life, it's like the tip of an iceberg. The sin we're aware of in our life, it's like the tip of an iceberg. The vast majority of the sin is below the surface that we haven't even begun to deal with yet, beloved. Do you know that about yourself? This is what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about the sin that he's not even conscious of. The attitudes he's not conscious of. The thought patterns he's not conscious of. He says, acquit me of the hidden things and then hold me back from my presumption. The conscious sin. Don't you love it? He says, and he says, God's Word is my vehicle for knowing the difference here. This is liberating and joy-invoking work to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our own sanctification. This is one thing that the psalmist is saying. And David says, Wash me, Lord, of the known and the unknown sins. Verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my... Redeemer. 
Now, I know this about you because it's true about me. I look in the mirror on occasion. It's not as pleasant as it used to be. I used to have a lot of hair, didn't I, Karen? A long time ago. But I know this about you because I think it's true about me. I'm a pleaser. Are you a pleaser? Here's the deal. You're either trying to please yourself, you're trying to please men, or you're trying to please God. We're all pleasers. We're all pleasers. Let me ask you, who are you seeking to please? You hear what David says? You hear what the psalmist says? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in, the sight, in Thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's not only saying, let it be acceptable. He's saying, if you, you know, I went and looked up the Hebrew word here, acceptable. There's this connotation of delight. It's not simply, God, I hope You approve my ways. It's, God, I want You to delight in my ways. Isn't that beautiful? Is that part of your mental inventory? Lord, delight in my ways. Delight in who I am. Yes, I sin. Yes, I fail. Yes, I fall. But then I, I confess my sin and the grace just rains down on me. Don't you want to delight the Lord? You know, it's one thing I learned in studying the Bible. We have the capacity to delight God. Is that an amazing thing? It's an amazing thing, beloved. Okay, real, real short story and I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm, I think I'm still okay. I'll never forget... Guy named Bart Atkinson. He was a, uh, a warehouseman at a, a food processing uh, company I worked at. I worked at in the in the in the late 80s, in the mid 80s to late 80s. And I used to talk to him about God all the time. We had long talks about God. And he said, "Why doesn't God show me something? Why doesn't God reveal Himself to me?" And I said, "You mean other?" than in the created order? Is that what you mean, Bart? Other than the heavens? Other than your own consciousness? Other than your, the fact that your blood clots when you... Other than the raspberry? Other than that? I said, do you mean other than how God revealed Himself through the incarnation, words, deeds, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of His Son? I said, other than that? You want Him to reveal Himself to you other than that? And then I said, you mean other than revealing Himself through the Bible? A collection of 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents with a common storyline, theme, and message without any historical errors or contradictions? You mean like that? You mean over and above that? He never came to the Lord. I sometimes still think my phone will ring or I'll get an email. I don't think... We used to have some good talks and I, I still think about Him. And when I think about Him, I pray for Him. Beloved God has made Himself abundantly clear to you. He is God. You're not. I don't mean that to be mean. It's just the truth. He's God. You're not. He's calling us to be His people. It's not, Christianity's not hard. <laughs> it's just not hard. You know, religion and denominations have made it, I guess, complicated, but it's not. Do you love Him? Follow Him. 
Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep follow me. That's Christianity, beloved. That's Christianity. Our good and gracious God has not only exhaustively revealed Himself, He is continually revealing Himself through the sky sermons and the raspberry sermons, etc., etc., etc. The God hypothesis has never been a matter of a lack of evidence. It's always been a matter of a lack of desire. It's not that men don't know. It's that men do know and they reject Jesus Christ. And so I charge you here to go out in the world and do your job. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. Point to God in the created order. Know your Bible. Point to God in the Word. Know the incarnation of the Son. Point to God in Jesus. Point to God and remind the skeptic because he knows it. Just challenge him on it. He knows. He knows. He really knows. He knows. It's why I heard one guy say, why are atheists so mad at God? It's because they know. Beloved, share the truth. Share the truth. Give a blessing. Give a witness to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this great text. We hear the sky sermons, Father. We hear them. We hear the raspberry sermons. We hear the DNA sermon. We hear the Swiss Alps sermon. We hear, we hear You, Lord. We hear You. Thank You for, as You say, the testimony of the created order. And Father, we thank You for the Word, incarnate and written. Thank You, Father, that You have not left anything unsaid that needs to be said. You've told us all that we need to know to be saved in Christ Jesus. We rejoice and give thanks. What a great and awesome God You are. Lord, I pray that we would be mighty in the Word and that we would share the truth with those who need to hear. We offer our lives to You, Father. We give all that we are and all that we have. It's Yours. It's already Yours. But Lord, we make that conscious decision to give it to You. Our hand is wide open. Our hand is open. We cling to nothing. It is Yours. Use us up for Your glory, for Your honor, for Your purposes. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, the Chapmans are leaving. Uh, tonight, if you... Be sure to say goodbye. Uh, what a great family. What a blessing to